Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In a few moments, Thought Speak will begin its broadcast. This is a dramatization, and in the midst of the horror and chaos, you will notice that we cannot interrupt for a commercial. For those of you that have heard the show in the past, you will find very little changed. And if you intend to stay with us for the next hour and a half, all these things are done to let you pull in the reins of your imagination. Incredible? You're absolutely right, it is incredible. And you are about to hear the results. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. What's up, people? How's it going? We are uh, getting back into the nor- more normal episodes after our special Megamorphs number two. Oh, yeah. 22, or whatever that was. It was it was monumentous. Here. Our episode numbers are getting really messed up with these uh, releasing these private ThoughtSpeaks. And... It's because every alternate episode we released sets the uh, count for the regular episodes off by one. So yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get confusing. <laughs> get a little hairy. Um, I don't know what episode we're on, but we're discussing book nineteen. I know that for sure. Yeah, book nineteen, the departure. That's what we're about to jump into. Ooh, the departure. That was uh, the name of your short film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our um, second short we shot in Dallas, named Departure. Look for it online, kids. It's out there. Correct. And you know what? I will go ahead and make this uh, admission. Um, the book I'm writing right now is called uh, Devil Ash Disarray. That is the third entry into my Devil Ash saga. However, a lot, of, a lot of D in our lives. A lot of D, exactly. However, the uh, fourth book is going to be called Devil Ash Departure. So, really? A little what's trivia. The, what's the departure in that? What are you, what are you departing from? Uh, it would be spoilers if I told you right now. Departing from hell? Uh, yeah, in a way. Hmm. Interesting. In a way, let's say there's a departure from the 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 devil's kingdom in hell. I want that book. <laughs> well, you will get it, my friend, uh, just as soon as I get Devil Ash Disarray out the door, out the yeah. Devil Ash door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me get on that. Uh, um, but we are talking uh, about a different departure themed book. Although you know, I don't I don't truly understand how the departure plays into uh the the this book cassie's departure from the animorphs mm. I, okay cassie's I, I, departure I, into the forest i guess cassie's departure from knowing the black and white realities of the yerk war cassie's departure into the un uh unkept world of cougar attacks or mountain lion leopard. attacks it's a leopard. It's not a mountain lion. It's not a cougar. It's a leopard. Totally different animal. Hey, it's been like how many weeks since we read this? For me, it was like a week and a half. Uh, it's probably like two for me now. Either way, it's a leopard. It's like you, you didn't you didn't read a book about a rhinoceros and all those later, all of those think, oh, jungle cats blend together into one. No, like it's cat to me. My I'm like I'm like visitor three. I just I just like cats of all nature. <laughs> Bob. Yeah, my cat's name is Bob. That's true. That's why I said it. And that's why I'm so confused because I call him Bobcat. <laughs> that's that's just what they look like to me. Okay. Well, why don't we get into the actual episode? So Go for it. Aren't listening to us, Mariander. 
Who's reading the uh, back of the book this time? You. Oh, sweet. Cassie's had it. After the last mission, she realizes she's getting tired of missions, tired of battles, tired of being an Animorph. She decides that she just can't do it anymore, so she quits. But that's not the worst that's happened. It seems a human controller named Karen followed Cassie after the last run-in with the Yerks, and she knows Cassie is an Andalite, or human. Either way, if she exposes Cassie, it's all over. No more Cassie, no more Animorphs, no more planet Earth. That's uh, that's that's pretty pretty epic sounding, right? Yeah, a little hyperbolic, but uh, one of the better <laughs> book cover, you know, summaries. Uh, it's not bad. I will, however, say that the cover of the book goes ahead and spoils the entire plot, so that happens mm, right off the I bat. I don't know. You might see it coming, but just her turning into a butterfly that they don't usually. They usually show like a morph that's going to be in the book, like she acquires a butterfly and would morph into it at some point. So yeah, but I, I I would disagree with that because I think spoilers come in all variety, and and one of the variety of spoiler is the kind where it plants an idea in your brain, and then as you're reading the book, it it it's just it's not coming. You're expecting it, and when you finally figure it out, you realize you've been spoiled. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess when you get to the part where you know, the end of the book, after she makes her sacrifice, just knowing that she turns into a butterfly at some point spoils it. Once you get to that point. A little bit, yeah. That and uh, the inside cover flap. That's the real spoiler. Coming out <laughs> gives, of a yeah, gives you the gives you the exact uh, spoiler of the book. Mm-hmm. Also, I would just like to say that my copy of The Departure was donated by the Richard Wagner family at the St. Mary's Library in Caledonia, Minnesota. There's a big sticker on the inside cover, and they laminated it. Wow. So you stole from a library, is what you're telling me. No, I bought this fair and square at a book sale. They're probably looking for their copy. <laughs> Nobody's looking for a copy of this book. <laughs> That's harsh. Uh, I like the cover for the most part, though. I mean, it's it at least, I don't know, you know, a butterfly is in a battle morph, so... It implies a more dramatic story. Somewhat. It's it's not a terrible cover. I carried it around a, a middle school and nobody laughed at me, so I guess that's a a good indication. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the the pink cover with a yak on the front of it. Oh that boy, we're gonna get to eventually. I yeah, I forgot about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, how about we start this beast off? Okay. Um, I like how this... This is my favorite opening to Animorphs books. Uh, just right in the middle of a battle. It uh, implies yes. that this is a bigger universe. We're not seeing all the stories. We're not seeing all the missions. You know, it's it's a good start. And uh, it's a good... It's a cool action scene right here at the beginning. Right. We join the team mid-mission when everything's already gone wrong and they're battling people because they <laughs> went to spy on this meeting of the sharing. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, just doing the regular stuff, fighting some Hork-Bajir. Cassie's there in Wolf Morph, as usual. Mm-hmm. And, um, just big bloody battle. And afterwards, Cassie, um, in particular, feels disturbed by just all the violence that she's been experiencing lately. Particularly, uh, which we'll come to find out more 
throughout the book, uh, what we just read about in the uh, Land Before Time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> everything that went down there kind of contributes to this, and that's why it's cool that those books sort of add to the canon and I in, like, in yeah, very small ways. I like the meta aspect of uh, this opening, too, and the fact that it implies that the author is aware of the tropes of the book series so far. The fact that they went on a mission, something went wrong that they weren't expecting, and now they're in a, and that's like half the reason they get into battles. Um, and we don't need to see all that. We just start right in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it it gives Cassie's um, actions here a little bit of of justification, I suppose, because right here in the first chapter we have Cassie telling everyone that she's just done. She's Dunsky being an anamorph. Yeah, they don't get it at first, but uh, she's like, no, I'm done. I'm done being an anamorph. Done, done, done. Yeah. <laughs> Brooks and done. Yep. Um, but, so uh, <laughs> she gets to go home, and it's just bad news upon bad news because her parents are like, we've got to close the the clinic. Yeah, and it's it's, you could chalk it up to a coincidence that you know oh i'm having a bad day i'm gonna quit the animorphs and now i'm losing the one thing i've got in my normal life the rehabilitation clinic you know right yeah but they, that, they've that lost funding and have to shut down that will go towards an overarching uh thing i want to talk about towards the end of um how i think this book is written a lot different than every single one that has come so far Oh well, I can't. I can't wait to to hear you break it down. Mm-hmm. Break it down for us, buddy. I will. We're we're all anxiously waiting. Um. So yeah, Cassie's life just kind of sucks at this point, and um, she's she's experiencing terrible nightmares and um wakes up in the middle of the night and senses somebody watching her through the window and um just sounds bad. Yeah. And uh, her friends come later, the rest of the team, to try and convince her to just get her crap together, give her the usual pep talk that they're so used to giving each other by now. Whoa. Well, okay, a couple of them came to give a pep talk. The rest of them are just pissed off and feel betrayed. And, you know, I understand completely how why Rachel and Marco are so mad right here. Because this isn't just her being like, oh, I'm having a hard time, guys. I'm going to quit. This is, okay, there's only six of us to begin with. And we're going to lose one-sixth of our firepower. We're already incredibly pathetic in this you know war and you're gonna you're gonna take that away from us that's a huge loss yeah yeah they, they, they sell that in context basically but <laughs> yeah it could kill all of them just her you know deciding to take a sick day let alone quit the team well this is where they're they have this huge explosive argument and you know rachel's especially pissed off because she's like what you're saying is you don't want to have to become me and, yeah, and rachel nice. can't even deny it that was a good line. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, it was really good. Um, so this is kind of Cassie's formal exit from the war and just telling everyone that she's out. And Jake even has to leave her there by saying, you know, you're not on the team anymore. Don't use your power. Yeah, she'd be a risk. You know, if she got caught or if somebody saw a human turning into a horse, which is probably all she would do all the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, she could get the rest of them caught. Even she doesn't. She doesn't have that responsibility anymore to go along with it, so she doesn't get that. Makes sense. I could see it. If I was pissed off at somebody, I wouldn't want him using the power either. Mm -hmm. 
And um, <laughs> so Cassie, you know, this is after that. She's obviously thinking about everything that's happened and how, how bad her life is right now. She's out doing some chores and decides to go for a horse ride. Um, and she, there's this trough way out. I don't I didn't know they just left troughs around horse paddocks, but it kind of makes sense they're at one end. We put deer feeders out in our forests sometimes. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's this trough that she was going to clean, and she goes out there, and I guess Axe has, like, way too much time on his hands. Like, he's just going around her farm cleaning things. And she <laughs> finds it She finds it completely clean and, and done for her. Yeah, uh, he, he probably does, though. <laughs> well, it said her dad might have done it, too. I guess, seeing that she's having a hard time, he might have. Did it have, like, a, a robotic leg on the trough? Because then it was probably Axe. <laughs> <laughs> Did the trough become sentient? Maybe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on her horse, when she gets out there, leads her just to the edge of her, um, you know, her family's acreage. Her magical forest, I like to call it. <laughs> it's everyone's magical forest. Um, <laughs> she sees, just another coincidence... She sees a little girl running out of the woods, screaming her head off, and uh, a, and they say it's a black bear, but they describe it like a grizzly coming out of the forest, uh, chasing this. It's little a girl. big mother effing bear. Is all yeah. you need to know. Black bears don't get that big. Well, this one's huge. Yeah. Well, it's chasing her, and uh, Cassie does. It, it's it's actually Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Just the Rachel does. I'm so mad that Cassie thinks I'm too crazy. We would chase little girls through the woods. <laughs> uh, but no, Cassie does like an Indiana Jones, and she starts chasing after this bear and this little girl on horseback. Um, oh yeah, she gets a little action scene kind of until she uh, rides straight into like a low hanging branch, <laughs> and her and both the kid fall into the river. Yeah, she grabs she grabs conveniently Karen. placed river. Yeah, she grabs Karen, <laughs> puts her on the back of her, her horse, and uh, as they're still running for this bear. I think the bear has like a couple kids or a couple cubs and that's why uh it was chasing after the little girl but uh cassie doesn't look where she's going and they hit a branch and go straight into the river yep and uh like all rivers they like to sweep people away from the uh place they want to go mm-hmm. it's homeward bound all over again oh so yeah they end up saving each other kind of i mean she saved her but then she has to save cassie Whatever. They they get out of the river and they both wake up um, where Cassie ends up meeting this girl and her name's Karen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't and take very long for Karen to reveal that she's actually a controller. Yeah, and uh, she's the sister? Brother? I don't know. Just she's a little gender. She's a little, <laughs> Yorks are a little gender confused. But um, yeah, sibling of the controller that was in the hork that Cassie rips out the throat of at the very beginning of the book. Um, so I don't know if Karen knows about that or knew it was Cassie, but... Well, yeah, that's that's why we had to mention that Cassie felt somebody was staring at her through the window in the middle of the night. And um, she was also at that sharing meeting that they busted up. That's This is the tie-in. This yeah. is how Karen ties into everything. But, yeah, so, I mean, Karen says, hey, I'm a controller, starts blabbering about Yurk stuff left and right and immediately Cassie's mind goes to what's the entire plot of this book do I have to kill this little girl so she doesn't reveal to the Yurks that we're animorphs <laughs> the animorphs yeah yeah it's uh it's it's a pretty good dilemma I'd say to to 
face Cassie with, especially. Yeah. I mean, if, of... if this was presented like Marco, <laughs> it'd go a little differently. I honestly think every single other Animorph uh, would eventually make the decision to take her out. Oh, well. Besides Cassie. Even Jake. I think Jake would struggle with it the most, but he's also the one who is going to go the furthest to make sure that their secret's kept. So I think if you break it down, every other Animorph uh, would have left the woods without a little girl. It's entirely possible at this point, since they've all been through so much messed up stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so like you said, you know, she's she's feigning stupid for the time being, but she's got to decide whether she wants to eliminate Karen or help her. Which, at it, for the time being, she decides to, to help her out by making her a crutch and a splint to walk on. Since it she's, should be she's said injured. that, uh, you know, of course, if she did get rid of her, or if she even didn't do anything with her, she could, you know, Cassie could fly out at any second and just make her way back home. So that's what's actually keeping her there, too, is trying to fool Karen into thinking that she's a human and that she thinks this little girl's crazy with all her talk. Yeah, which... Uh, even if you know she didn't want to do that, she wouldn't have to. She could still run way ahead of her to morph and then fly out of there and leave her for dead. What do you think if she tried to run away? Karen would just shoot her. Um. Well, uh, right now she would. <laughs> A little yeah. bit later, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh, and big huge plot that we didn't mention that happened when Cassie was back at her house. A leopard has escaped from the local zoo, or from a, somebody who holds exotic animals. I guess that's what it is. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those little. We farms. glossed over that, but honestly, mm-hmm. it was kind of glossed over in the book anyway. It was, but yes, there is a <laughs> leopard, full, full, fully grown leopard, in the woods. Conveniently placed leopard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, a little convenient. The the bulk of this book, though, I would say, is is just the interactions between Karen and Cassie, uh, as as they're you know trying to survive their crappy situation. And I don't know if we'll be able to do that justice, uh, because you you really got to read how they interact and what they say to each other to get a, a true appreciation of it. But I think you'll probably do a good job of summing it all up for us. Yeah, well, I mean, unlike the last Megamorphs book, which is very action and plot heavy, this one's, this whole book's a conversation. It's, um, what's that movie with, uh, um, I can see him in my head. It's a conversation was... interrupted by leopard attacks. Yes, that there's that. But, uh, who's the guy in, um, he was in The Rookie and Frequency. Kevin Bacon. No. He's you usually also... have such a good chance of it just being Kevin Bacon. No, it's not Kevin Bacon. Oh my gosh. Rick Moranis. No, it's um Toby Maguire. I don't know. There was this movie in the uh in the eighties that it was all about this starship pilot and this alien it's called Enemy um Enemy Within or something like that. It's a really famous classic movie. Kurt Everybody Russell. Knows. No, not Kurt Russell. Close to Kurt Russell, though. Um, but anyway, but it was about this enemy pilot and this alien who doesn't speak the same language being deserted on this planet. And they like have a campfire and they have to learn to survive. And they just learn to talk to each other and 
and understand each other and they like leave the planet together and you what know. does the alien look like uh i'm actually gonna bring up real oh, just, no you gotta research this <laughs> no i have to because it's a really famous actor too and it's a, it's a really famous movie hey while we're off topic there's there was an old movie about um aliens and i think it took place on earth but there were aliens that were hiding out in our society they kind of looked like us but they had like backward jointed legs so they yes. could move a lot faster that movie what? is um it was what? a made for tv movie oh it, it, it was, was it yeah it was um that's why i could never find it i have to look that up because that's got charlie <laughs> charlie sheen in it yeah i thought it had charlie sheen in it i wasn't sure about that charlie sheen i just thought i thought maybe my imagination filled charlie sheen into it because i didn't know what actor it was mm-hmm. <laughs> oh that is that awesome. movie is called the arrival the arrival mm-hmm. there's a sequel to it too well, that should be easy to remember because isn't that an Animorphs book too? Pretty sure everything that comes after the word the is an Animorphs book. Uh, <laughs> the but, Donkey Kong. That <laughs> no, was an Animorphs book, I believe. The was good because it ended. I remember it ended with that kid who was his friend the entire time um, trying to kill him and his legs turned backwards and you found out that he was one of the aliens the whole time. Uh, Yeah, I just remember it ended with a shot of one of them like folding back their legs and running off into the sunset. <laughs> anyway... The movie I was talking about is called Enemy Mine, and it came out in 1985, and it's um it's got Dennis Quaid in it. Oh, Dennis Quaid. Okay. Yeah, and it's well, here, here's the that. summary of that. A soldier from Earth crash lands on an alien world after sustaining battle damage. Eventually, he encounters another survival b- survivor, but from the enemy species he was fighting. They band together to survive on this hostile world. In the end, the human finds himself caring for the enemy in a completely unexpected way. Oh, yeah, I like... Okay. I, I could get behind that. <laughs> it's very. It's. I think it's very much what this book was based off of because it's a classic movie. It was huge in the eighties. Oh, I see. So it's not as original as it seems. Mm-mm. The whole having to work with my enemy to survive a tragic situation <laughs> scenario. I think it's a pretty old story. <laughs> anyway. So, so Karen and Cassie kind of get to know each other, or at least. Karen gets to know Cassie, and in particular, like, how good of a person Cassie just genuinely is um, as, as they're moving. But the whole time, she still suspects her of being an Andalite, uh, to which Cassie continues playing dumb and just wants to focus on getting them both to safety. Which I think that's... I don't feel like Karen's ever actually met an Andalite. It seems like everything she knows about them is all your propaganda, you know? Because if she had ever met an Andalite, she would know that they cannot fit in as well as Cassie is acting human. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. Well, no, nobody, I think, in the Yurk Empire would know an Andalite that well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would, she'd probably seen them maybe in Battle Morph. I mean, that's certainly how she knew about, I doubt about it. Cassie, if you because look she at... followed the wolf. I, see, I, I bet she's never even been anywhere but earth if you look at like the production line of yurks all they do is breed them and and bring them straight to wherever they're needed so you know karen's probably not even that old of a yurk and uh if she has i mean there's so many more yurks than there are andalites i'm sure battles with them are few and far between and with very specific you know like their fleet and things like that these on the ground soldiers probably never interact with andalites (laughs) Yeah, um, and this book's really cool because it does fill in some of the uh, information about Yerks and Andalites that we've been um, uh, wondering about. 
Um, but as as they're walking around, uh, they uh, they come apart or they come upon some evidence of this escaped leopard to add a little tinge of drama to their situation. Yeah, it's like a it's like a fawn, like like up in a rip, tree, ripped apart and stuck in a tree, right? So it left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some some gross stuff, and uh, that just makes Cassie even more certain that they gotta get the heck out of there. Um, but Karen's still going on, you know, talking all about the Yerks and Andalites, and we get to learn about uh, the Yerks breeding process a little bit. Yeah, it takes three Yerks to make a batch, I guess. Yeah, yeah, they they come together and form a new Yerk or or two. Well, no, they form more than two. They'd be wiped out as a species. If they only form two Yerks out of three. Because they, they form together three different Yerks. And then that kills those three Yerks, right? And then it creates like a... I assume like an explosion of like a... A, like, a pod of them. Yeah, like 20 or something or more. A Yerk boom. Yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> and it definitely wipes out any thought of gender in Yerks. Even though it makes out a lot of Yerks to be kind of sounding male or female but that's kind of the good thing because it's based on their control like who their controller is well i think they they only have any uh uh consideration over gender when they take human bodies because i think realistically humans are the only creatures that really put as much thought into gender differences as as we do so yeah. um like you have like visitor one i know is is really into her female human host bodies um, it, it's just I think it seems to be preference, I guess. Well, whatever, I think whatever they do first. I think what it is is um, as we learn later in this book, a yerk, it's not one sided with them taking our memories and our feelings and everything. They get a lot of that too. They really do bond with their host. So I think with a yerk going into a female body or a male body, um, they start feeling that that sense of uh, gender or whatnot because yeah like we've seen in other parts they keep taking the same gendered host and even take on look at visitor one's book um that throughout the whole book i can't help but read it as a female voice even though it's just a yerk voice because she does yeah. some very feminine thought processes and and ways of doing things and becomes very maternal by the end of it yeah um, it, it being a woman definitely changed uh visitor one mm -hmm. and that's really her whole her whole Plot arc. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a different book though. <laughs> I want that book. We're not oh, gonna get we'll to it. We'll get for, it. We're not we'll... gonna get to it for years. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Um uh but what we've got now is is still cool. Uh Cassie and, and, and Karen have found a cave and <laughs> Cassie tries to be an idiot and uh like wolf morphs her head to <laughs> sort of stick in there and sniff for trouble. Make sure it's uh, not not infested with mole badgers or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the middle of this, obviously, Karen tries to see what she's doing. And before she can, here comes that leopard we've been being hinted at. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first of one of many interruptions by leopard. Um, this is where Karen straight up gets jumped. And uh, Cassie's got no choice here but to morph the wolf and save her. Um, which... You know, the wolf is able to make the leopard retreat somehow. <laughs> Just by being any kind of threat, you know, the leopard wasn't expecting that and doesn't want to pick a fight unless it's going to win. Yep. Like 100%. That's uh, animal nature. Mm -hmm. uh, so, cat's out of the bag. 
Literally. Yeah, Karen. Karen <laughs> Wolf's out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Karen knows enough about, I guess, Andalite morphing technology that she knows she has to be human because she can't go through uh, straight into a morph from a morph. So I guess I guess they get like a pamphlet, like all the Yurks get a pamphlet passed out on yeah. morphing technology. Here are the signs to look for. I'd like to think that there's like other signs that are just wildly far out there that are obvious propaganda. You know, I yeah, I hope <laughs> they can shoot lasers from their eyes. Like like the Andalites have a long tongue that can latch onto any creature's ear and suck <laughs> the, the yerk right out of it. So they're all just terrified of that or something. Yeah. Well, I'd also like to think that uh, they don't get a pamphlet. They all have to sit down and watch like an old 1950s uh, propaganda video infomercial. So it's like, hey, Timmy, do you know if your brother is an Andalite? Here's how you can tell. But, but it's made with, like, taxons. <laughs> In costume. Yeah, yeah. One of them's wearing, like, you know, a, a kid's t-shirt and a baseball cap. <laughs> the other taxons in a business suit. A hork comes out with a wig and it's his mom. <laughs> oh, Visitor 3. Him and his priorities. <laughs> Anyway, back to the book. Anyway, uh, uh, Karen and Cassie are spending the night in the cave. They're bonding. It seems like good things are happening, except Karen's still kind of a little... Uh, uh, what's the appropriate word? I guess brat is, is the appropriate word that you call she it. She does. I think, I think Karen takes on a lot of... Uh, or the Yurk takes on uh, a lot of Karen's attributes of child behavior. Which I think is really interesting. She she gets really childish at times. She's really bratty. Wow, she's just very um, stubborn. Yeah, she's very set in her ways of of not working with the Andalite. Um, no matter how many times Cassie's saved her and just been like, I'm just I'm trying to get you out of here. <laughs> and we we didn't mention the fact that um, when Karen was attacked by the leopard, she pulled a Dracon beam out, and that was her whole plan was to get. Cassie to admit that she was an Andalite or morph back or something, and then to stun her, uh, because she thought she was defenseless, but obviously she had a gun on her, so. Right. But she yeah. loses that in the leopard attack. But, despite that, they still have this peaceful night in the cave, where Cassie spends a lot of time debating just what to do. There's a lot of internal monologue. Um, a lot of <laughs> internal debating. And uh, Karen sleeps during this time, and when she wakes up, it's uh, Cassie's turn to sleep, and I think Karen's a little bit surprised that Cassie didn't do anything to her and just let her have her peaceful sleep. Um, however, Cassie doesn't get that peaceful sleep. We get a lot more uh, nightmares from her. In particular, the, uh, the, the stuff mentioned from last book. Yeah, her. Uh, this is interesting that there... Didn't the book right after Megamorph's one mentioned some of those events too yeah yeah it did uh, so it's weird the megamorphs books are supposed to be like completely separate and off on their own but i really like that cassie you know having turned into that tyrannosaurus and ripping into that triceratops and really losing control uh that that's really still messing with her it's it's cool that they kept that going yeah yeah it's it's a nice touch definitely because um uh, I don't know. Cassie's uh, quitting the team was just sort of out of the blue, I felt. But they do uh, give a lot of, of evidence here to back it up throughout. Yeah, and uh, they start talking as Karen, you know, gets up to go look for her 
Dracon being that she lost and yeah, Cassie... and it's it's funny that they mention that she's uh, looking for it because she's worried about the punishment for losing it. <laughs> yeah, they talk about how they're issued one and it's all dedicated to them and you know, which is nice because it it gives you a little bit more of a look at like the daily life of a Yurk, which is I think something that the series kind of lost out on. I mean, we did get you know Vizzer obviously, but a, a series or a, a trilogy or something from the perspective of a Yurk, or just the Yurk Chronicles, or something, would have been amazing. Yeah, I'd love one that's like, um, you could have an entire book of, you know, Bob Yurk, who wakes up, gets gets infested, and it's like a sharing branch in another city that doesn't have Animorphs and Andalites and all that stuff, and it's just the day-to-day infestation and and trying to further the uh, Yurk goals. That would be a really good book. A story about, you know, this Yerk character that you come to sympathize with over the course of a couple of chapters. And then in the very last chapter, he gets transferred to, like, the food court somewhere. And then he just happens to be one of the, like, hork that the Animorphs have to take out on their way into the Yerk pool. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, if you think about it, think of how different the language is and, and how this book is written, where we learn more about Yerks and their day-to-day life. Versus like book three, or not book three, uh, book two with Rachel and uh, Melissa's parents. Like I feel like it's like night and day how the Yorks are written in that book versus this one. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that was at the point where they truly believed these were not sympathetic villains. They were to be thought of as strictly a parasite that needs to be wiped out. Yeah, I mean, in that, in that book, uh, her parents, even when they're trying to just dodge Visitor 3's wrath or whatever, they're still talking like, Machiavellian, you know, old school, twirling their mustache, bad guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's kind of weird that they would do this book so early in the series, trying to paint the villain as sympathetic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think... I gotta where... wonder, would it have been more effective if it came towards the end of the series when they had more serious losses? To, to... Well, they get into that later on in the books, but... Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know if K. Applegate really knew how many more books they had in them because I mean they stopped at twenty five and switched over to Ghost Riders, so they probably didn't know this was going to be a fifty three book series. I suppose that's possible. Oh yeah, they yeah I mean they could have only planned for twenty five or so. That makes sense, but um, hmm. anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, we get to learn more about um, Karen's life obviously, like the, the actual Karen. It's it's just, it's honestly, it's a lot of talking between Karen and Cassie mm-hmm. while they're walking around the forest. And a uh, big point of interest here, Karen, at some point, when Cassie's berating her about making a choice to live in your own York body and not taking a host, uh, Karen compares the life of a natural York to that of a caterpillar and asks if Cassie <clears throat> could do that herself. Wink, wink, foreshadowing. Conveniently placed caterpillar. Yeah. That's every time they want a caterpillar, there's just one on the ground nearby them. It's very weird. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, she kind of poses that dramatic sort of question to her Do you think you could handle that? Huh? Could you, punk? And then all Look of a sudden. Look at the caterpillar. Like, Look at it. <laughs> Be the caterpillar. Well, and then uh, we get another out of the blue leopard attack. <laughs> yeah, this time, though, um, when it's, you know really going after them and there's not much they can do uh an osprey comes out of nowhere 
and uh, claws at the leopard's eyes, and it gets it to back off a little bit. Yeah, they uh, they get an unexpected teammate, and of course it's Marco. Yeah, of course. And uh, gives Cassie just enough time to really go full wolf and uh, and push back the leopard a little bit, and the leopard well, gives, at this point gives Marco care. enough time to go gorilla. That's what I'm saying. At this point, the leopard probably would have just taken her out, but then Marco turns into a you know what, like 400 pound gorilla. And uh, that's a little that's a little more of a sway. Marco goes Ivan <laughs> and uh, scares it right away. So Karen lives to see another leopard mauling. Yeah. And uh, did Karen get hurt here or is that later in the next? That's the next one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so um, Marco, Marco is, is, is understandably confused here on what exactly the situation is. And Cassie's. Just acting very weird and shifty. Um, she like she, you know, cares more about uh, protecting Karen at this point. Um, and Marco is, for some reason, gives them like a moment alone. <laughs> well, he's, you know, he's he's obviously weirded out by just how Cassie is interacting with this girl because Marco's trying to kind of dumb down his talk, like he's talking to a little girl because that's what she is, and. Uh, when he picks up on this, obviously, Mark is the most pragmatic and probably the most intelligent Animorph. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go get the others or tell them what's going on. Stay here. Uh, and gives Cassie enough time to really sit down with Karen and be like, look, Marco is not me. He's not compassionate. He's not going to let you go. He's going to kill you if he finds out what you are. So you need to play it cool. Yeah, I think... Marco, in particular, of of the entire team, is the one most likely to even suspect Cassie of trying to harbor, uh, like, a Yerk friendship, <laughs> which yeah. I think is what he suspects happening. I don't think he expects. Right I don't think he expects that much. I just think he's smart enough to pick up something's up, and it's actually kind of, you know, it's, it's very Marco-ish to to then try to sneak away. And as we see here, and I think one of the coolest written lines in the book uh, where Marco talks and he didn't slip away very far. He went to the tree above them and morph just to overhear their conversation. And right. he learns everything. He learns that she's a yerk. He learns that Cassie's trying to protect her. And uh, just really shows Marco's character how cold and decisive he can be. It makes him, it's almost, this is, um, this is one of the notes I wrote down. Uh, this is actually may, maybe my favorite part of the entire book because it's almost seen how dangerous these animorphs are from an outside, like from a yerk perspective, because it's exactly what the animorphs have been doing this whole time. You know, why Visitor 3 is so afraid of them is that when Marco says his line and they look up and see that he's there and it just completely encapsulates the power and terrifyingness of, of what they can do with these powers. I mean, they're, it's actually frightening when Marco speaks up because uh, you know what he can, because he's the enemy for us, at least a split second right here. And we know what they're capable of. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, though I don't actually suspect, as a reader, I'm saying, I don't actually suspect any harm will come to Cassie at the moment. It's not um, really harm to Cassie or anything, but it's just... Or, or, or Karen, I will say. Yeah, but it's really just having them be on the other side. It's like it's why I like the David trilogy so much. Um Oh, no, just I, I agree power, with you. It is it is cool when they pit the the characters against each other. Yeah, because that does have to happen on occasion. 
yeah, it's 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 a cool little scene. It's awesome. Plus, you know, Marco totally calls out Cassie for being a fool. Yeah, we finally get a lot of this um these angers to each other and these these resentments finally boiling to a point in uh in this whole book. You know, it's they're not usually they're all pretty friendly to each other, even though they're not all best friends. Uh, we don't see a lot of in infighting within the Animorphs, and it all kind of comes out in this book. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does, and it uh, it all kind of blows over by the end of it, pretty yeah, <laughs> pretty quickly, um, but justifiably so, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, what are we doing here? Cassie's, Cassie um, flips out when Marco's there. Kind of yeah, knows he, what's going to go down. He's flown off to warn everybody. He well, no, no, he morphs into human right there to try to like figure out what's going on and, and let Cassie explain herself. And before, before she can, or she gives him any kind of opportunity to morph into something more powerful, she convinces Karen to go into her body and just shoves her head up against Karen's head. And the Yurk starts, you know, immediately transferring over. Yeah. in in one of the dumbest moves in Animorph history, really, but- dumb. <laughs> also, also, unfortunately, also the smartest thing she could do in in this particular instance. But if Karen's Yurk would have been even just a little more mischievous or, or uh, you know, good at lying or it really was one of these evil, evil Yurks, uh, everyone would have been screwed right here. And I, I love that Marco immediately flies off because he already sees two steps ahead that Cassie could morph something dangerous and take him out. Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's right now is like the worst situation possible. One of the Animorphs has been freaking taken by a Yurk. Yeah. And it's not Jake where they had him under control or anything. It's it's completely, you know, Marco's the only one who knows where they are. So he's got to fly back immediately and try to get everybody. Right. The only the only upside to the situation is what do you suppose Cassie's most dangerous morph is? Besides Uh, Wolf. (laughs) Wolf is all she ever goes to. I mean, she's got some of the other ones they have but nothing nothing crazy i know she you know she doesn't have like rachel's elephant or bear nothing of like mass destruction i think a wolf's pretty dangerous though we kind of spent half of humanity's existence just wiping out wolves <laughs> no they're definitely dangerous but she she doesn't possess the variety of some of the other animorphs yep pretty much immediately uh aftran which is the york's real name um, yeah, and this is cool because we do get to learn more about Aftran just through her being bonded with Cassie now. Yeah, it's that dual back and forth of emotions and thoughts that you kind of get. I mean, the host doesn't get as much as the Yurk does because the Yurk can control everything, but uh, you still pick up a lot. And of course, we've got Aftran learning all about Cassie and the Animorphs. And, and... she switches to Bird pretty quick. Oh yeah, yeah. She goes Osprey. Um, this is this is kind of a, a neat touch, though. Um, she goes Osprey and she starts flying, but Cassie notices it's not really like towards anything. She's just like experiencing being free, and and how nice that feels for a moment. It's probably Yurk to first Yurk to fly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Besides, you know, the terrible Vizzer. Yeah, that's true. But there's, um, you know, that's kind of to the root of uh, the Yurk's whole argument is the fact that they, you know, they don't need to experience even sight or seeing colors or anything 
at all without taking a host body and seeing her enjoy flight so much and, and being giddy about it kind of shows why Yerks take hosts to begin with. It's the only way they can ever have any experience outside of being a slug. Yeah, so that's like, um, you know, getting to watch a really awesome movie on an HD TV for a Yerk. Yeah. Flying as a bird. And uh, flying around, they they notice that uh, there's actually a huge search party out for Cassie and Karen, the little girl. Cause the little well, girl's and like, there's, there's another search party, too. The, the Yerk search party. Yeah, they're all mixed in together, I assume. But, you know, Karen's dad, I guess, is like a billionaire. Is that is that what it is? Something like that. Yeah, he's a he's a rich guy. He's a mogul, corporate mogul. He's Elon Musk. He's a fat cat. <laughs> yeah. Probably had a hand in the 2008 recession. <laughs> Maybe. What year did this book come out? Uh, like 97. <laughs> <laughs> it was foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. But um, uh, but she she doesn't uh like go to her comrades or anything. She instead uh she just gives them a little vague warning about the Andalite bandits coming and they should take off. Yeah, because she can see the you know Rachel's morph and the other birds in the air, uh, not that far away. All right, this this plot's coming to a climax. Um, <laughs> and so uh surprisingly, she just kind of goes right back to Karen. And and gives uh, Garen's body the yerk. Yeah, it's uh, it's really weird how this plays out. It's you know she warns him to give him time, but from all the conversations so far, we can tell that the uh, this yerk's different. This is one of the yerks who truly doesn't really want to be a part of the war. But it seems like you gotta pretty much enlist as a soldier in the yerk army to be given hosts and to be able to. You know, live out your life outside of uh, the Andalite-controlled Yerk homeworld. <laughs> yeah, which begs the question, what do you do if you're just a Yerk not in a host? <laughs> do they serve a function in society? I mean, could they, like, put them in little water wheels and use them to power their <laughs> machines or something? Could, you know, could they do anything? <laughs> no, I'm sure they have, you know, an economy and, and, you know, miners and everything else. I'm sure there's work to support the Yurk Empire. So they, they get hosts that way too, but they probably only get like Jeds and the really crappy hosts. Yeah, but in their natural state, like, what are they doing? I I like that they uh, finally revealed that they speak through like a series of, of squeaks and like clicks. Kind echolocation, of. yeah. Yeah, that's that's neat. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That so gives they, a little bit of character depth to them. So they can live out their lives as slugs. They can interact they can breathe they can talk to yeah other. it just sucks yeah. a lot <laughs> basically who um, was the first yerk to figure out they could crawl into the ear of some yeah you know, I, random I have, animal who knows and it was probably do you think it might have been like a, an undersea fish or something yeah or some kind of probably ears? some kind of amphibian crocodile yerk crocodile who knows but uh so we're, we're in the big scene right they're in the they're in the meadow Oh, yeah. So she's just taking over Karen again. Um, we get a little bit more discussion about what they're going to do here. And, and Karen, or Aftrin, uh, basically has a, a, a proposition for Cassie, which is to live out the life of a caterpillar and just stay in that morph. Which sounds like probably the worst thing, you know, a human could possibly be asked to go through, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's um the whole point of it is that 
Karen, like we said, or Aftran is one of these jerks who doesn't really want to be a part of the war. And I guess she was moved by a lot of what Cassie said as well. And, you know, especially seeing her memories. And she really gets that Cassie is a good person. And this Yurk feels that she's a good person too. But she's just forced into this existence. So she makes her a deal, the very cold deal of live out your life as a caterpillar and I'll, I'll, I'll never take a host again. Yeah, so we'll both be kind of doing the same. Yeah. Except one of them cheats the deal. Yeah, well, Cassie uh, Cassie goes into it, and Cassie's so torn up and, and horrified by the idea of living as a caterpillar the rest of her life. You know, she goes through with it, but she's, like, all in her own head, and, and once she's a caterpillar, she kind of just lets the caterpillar's instincts take over so she doesn't have to think about or feel what she's actually feeling and thinking about and how horrible Yeah, it's like the ultimate be. depression. Yeah, and so she... You ever been so depressed you actually became a caterpillar? Well, Cassie's been there. Exactly. So this is really cool. So this is the first normal book where Cassie stops being the the uh, first person view, and we switch over to Jake. Right. Yeah. This is a, a neat little touch. Um, they're like, okay, we desperately need another action scene here, so we're gonna give you that, even though you can probably assume how it's gonna turn out. Um, they're, they're fighting some human controllers and Rachel gets hurt a bit, but it doesn't really matter because they end up finding Karen and Aftran who, uh, tells them about Cassie's sacrifice and naturally everybody's pissed and, (laughs) you know, just wants to end Aftran's life right then and there. It's interesting because, uh, Aftran says that she, when it got close to the two hour limit, she started telling her to morph back. So she wasn't actually going to force her to become a Nothlet. But at that point, Cassie, A, couldn't hear her because she's a freaking caterpillar. And B, was probably completely lost in the instincts. Yeah, not a good deal for Cassie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, They, they want to beat the crap out of her, but the leopard beats them to it. <laughs> yeah, after, after you know, after and tells her about the whole deal and uh, Rachel flat out wants to kill her and um, Jake takes the caterpillar and everything, the leopard comes out and actually really hurts karen and really has her in a spot where they could just let her same same choice that cassie had they could just let her be taken by the leopard and it'd solve all their problems but uh exactly you know what you know what all karen's got going for her is the fact that something always beats the animorphs to her so they've got to always be in the position of saving her (laughs) yeah they never really are allowed to just deal with her yeah and uh, surprisingly, Marco is the one who steps up and saves her from the leopard. And that ends the leopard subplot. Yeah. Funny how, how Marco's the one who ends up saving her. Yeah. Well, I mean, the damage is done at this point. And uh, it's surprising, though, that they actually you know, go with Cassie's choice and trust this little girl to keep their secret. <laughs> Cassie's choice. Would have also been a great title for this book. It would have been. So they wouldn't have fit their uh, marketing profile. No, I mean, you know, if they if they got rid of the, the pattern. The pattern. If they got rid of the pattern. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, we've got Jake uh, asking Avtran about the deal um, that she made with Cassie. Just sort of to take Rachel's mind off of killing her for a moment. <laughs> Um, but Jake ultimately decides to just take the, the 
Cassie Pillar, as I call it, <laughs> and uh, and leave the conflict there without without doing anything about Karen. He, you know, he's really got that that mentality. The whole we're just gonna walk away from it and not deal with it, like uh, like he did with uh, uh, what's his name, the rich guy, Visitor Three's brother. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Despite the fact that he came down and burned his mansion to the ground later. Oh yeah, that crazy guy. <laughs> but uh, you know, at that time, it was like, okay, we're just gonna walk away from this. We've yeah. come out of this the best we can. Done. <laughs> yeah. So they they take the the Cassie cocoon and and get out of there. And even Rachel, who was so adamant about killing this girl, was like, "Well, if nobody else is gonna kill her, I guess I won't." Yeah, I like how they each have to decide. Like one of them totally could have just been like, "Well, I disagree." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Rachel could have totally waited till all of her friends left and was like, just you and me, you're yeah. dead. So. But she doesn't. They they all leave her be. Um, and then they're kind of just waiting around because while this is happening, Cassie, Cassie Pillar is immediately um, started building a cocoon like right there in the field. Yeah, yeah. She she was already like undergoing the process of building the cocoon when they walked her out of the forest there. So we get a little time skip sort of it's like three days um where cassie's finally emerging as this butterfly and they all gather around like it's you know a big event i mean it is it's sad and whatever they all want to be a part of seeing her turn into a butterfly and uh it leads to a really funny scene where after she's come out axe is you know standing there watching as well and he's like well you guys didn't tell me that she was gonna do this that she was changing and they're like yeah it's just you know it's what caterpillars do they turn into butterfly and he's like <laughs> would would she like to unmorph? Would she like to morph out? And Jake's yeah, like, do you think she'd like to not be a butterfly? And Jake's like, I'm sure she would, Axe. She'd really <laughs> like that. I wish we could do something. Right. Axe is like, well, why don't we do something? And they're like, we wish we could, buddy. We wish we could. <laughs> Should we not tell her to demorph? It, the, the, the process has been reset because anything that undergoes a natural metamorphosis... Um, gets to do that i guess yeah which is another of the many coincidences and and you know ex machinas of this book right uh, i mean they never mentioned uh like any animal on the andalite planet that could also go through a metamorphosis that might do it or... i mean there's plenty of there's plenty of animals on this planet that do it so it's possible. How would they've even tested it on the andalite planet <laughs> just one of those crazy andalite scientists is like i'll do it this is no. I think this was just a, a monumental coincidence, but it, it worked out Which, in their favor. And much that, like the cover of the book told us, Cassie's going to come out of it just fine. Yeah. Well, all the coincidences are, um, I think, on purpose and uh, lead into my main point that I'll get into with my review. But uh, right. So so Cassie's come out of this, and she has to tell her parents and and the news even. That she was just lost in the woods for several days and had to survive by eating mushrooms. So yeah. she gets known as the Mushroom Girl, which is just like Rachel's, uh, whatever she was, Danger Girl or whatever. Yeah, they're all getting famous. Falling uh, Girl. I can't remember what she They was. all need to not be famous because that hurts their overarching goal. Right, yeah. They are really working against themselves at this point. Yeah. Uh, but all the on on the plus side though this this serves a a convenient plot point here 
all of this publicity ends up funding her parents' clinic. So, yay! Well, the publicity doesn't. She finds out later that um, some rich billionaire with a little girl uh, funded the clinic. So, that was Aftran going back and forcing her dad to uh, to give them the money they needed. Either way, the plot that never was, was never. <laughs> what? Okay, we'll just go with that. Random assortment of words. Yeah, and like you said, uh, she does find out that uh, Karen, Karen's father did this because she meets her at the mall later. Yeah, when um, Cassie's all obsessed with colors now because she was a butterfly. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's Not because over, she was a butterfly. She's turned but... over a new leaf. Not because she was a butterfly, but because when she came out of caterpillar form in the metamorphosis, she was a, it was like a Yurk scene for the first time. Right, yeah, no, it was a huge, it was a huge uh, change of of life for her. I mean, this is basically the story of how Cassie got her groove back, and this this end point <laughs> here demonstrates it flawlessly. Where you know everything's super happy. My parents got the funding back. I'm a, I'm back on my anamorph team of friends. I'm buying clothes at the mall. Girl power. It's <laughs> it's all good stuff, and well, that's that's how this book ends. I think she. I think what she really needed more than the other Animorphs is to keep her in the fight and make it seem worth it is that it's not just a battle to wipe out the Yurks and then they'll win. It was the idea that there's some gray area, there's some place for her to exist in the Animorphs and, and that there's Yurks out there who feel the same way. I think that's the real motivating factor into uh, her deciding to stay in the war. I Yeah, I agree with you. Now, I would have to believe that at least it's, to some degree, Cassie now... I don't want to say she's like a Yerk sympathizer, but I would say added to her list of goals is maybe a way to end the war and then make peace with the Yerks and somehow find a way to incorporate them into society. And spoilers, I mean, that that motivation from this book is a huge, huge factor in the end of the series. Right, yes, totally. And um, I mean, you know, maybe even the wheels are turning already in the back of her mind how morphing technology could be used to the Yerks' advantage or benefit mm-hmm. of their species. Okay, let's jump into our review. Yeah, okay. How about you go first, since you clearly have more to say on this than I do. I, I, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Yeah, okay. So, so what I've been alluding to um, is the fact that there are so many more coincidences and, and just like, oh, good thing that happened in this book than um, I think any other book so far. And there's a lot of coincidences and Deus Ex Machina in the rest of the books, but this one even more so. It's almost every plot point in this book is just like, well, that's convenient, you know? Um, so much so that when I was about halfway through the book on this read, I started thinking that it was intentional and that the entire point of this book was not to um, write a normal story like they've done. I think they really switched formats with this whole book and tried to write um, a little more, I don't know the word for it, other than like artsy. Like they really went for the metaphors and the themes of this book prevailing over the plot actually making direct sense within the series so that they could say more with it and they could talk about this whole gray area and uh cassie's motivations and have this big conversation 
be a part of the whole book. I really, I really do think that this book is written differently on purpose, um, so that these contrivances and and these things that would normally be a bad factor um, actually elevate the conversation of the book. You know, it, it puts it on a, a different level than I think a lot of the other writings. I think it's really actually complicated um, layout rather than just a book of them not knowing where they were going to go with the story, you know? Yeah, I will agree with you. I, I It's definitely not on the level of, you know, a children's book, per se. Um, this is more more young adult. Yeah, I mean, even the whole leopard attacks. I mean, it's you could really put that in the... You could angle that as, you know, they're, they're wavering in the conversation of whether they're enemies or not is constantly at the edge of being you know, attacked by um, their natural allegiances and what side of the war they're on. Um, I think you could take a lot of metaphors out of this book, and, and they're not they're not just metaphors where you're, like, trying to find them. I think they are actual intentional. Um, so it's, it's just a very weird book and a very um, improvised book versus how structured the rest of them are. Okay, so what are you, you going to rate it, then? So... Uh, for just trying to elevate the series and making Cassie more than what she was. I mean, she's she's written completely different in this book. She's a she's a finally, like many of the others, is a a real human being in this book. And we haven't gotten Rachel there yet, but at least Cassie is an interesting character now, and not just the environmentalist. Uh, she's dealing with some real stuff, and she seems like a real kid in this book. So just for that alone it would get a five for me um, after everything we've gone through and just oh, wow, hating really? Cassie. Um, but that on top of actually being trying to write more than just a young adult book and trying to write this weird format in a series that is, is all about format um, gets it to five as well. So, um, okay. yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely going for a five out of five leopard spots on this one. Five out of five leopard spots. Well, first of all, I want to say um, screw you for taking my leopard reference for your rating scale. Wait, I have one more thing to say in my review real quick. Um, <laughs> I also think it's interesting that because of how this book starts out with being in the middle of a battle and kind of insinuating that, you know, there's more going on. Um, I think you could read the first book and you could read this book as a direct sequel and skip all the other books in between and... Like if this if this were a series of only like five books, the first one would be number one, and this could easily be number two, and it would make complete sense. Oh well, yeah. Then this could this could be a very important book to include. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, but it would also we're... transition well, I think, and you would just fill in the gaps with you know your imagination or whatnot. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it might have to be reworked a little, but it could. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Um. Okay. I probably don't have quite as much to say on it as you do. So how about I will uh, I will start my review out by just giving you the number, and then I will just try to defend that number. Okay, go ahead. So I, I'm going to actually, I'm sitting more at about a three out of five on this really? one. And I know that's probably going to be the unpopular opinion, as everybody has told us how they love this book. Uh, one dude emailed us saying it's his favorite, and... You know, Aftran is one of his most favorite characters from the series now. It's like, holy crap, dude, pressure. 
but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I enjoyed the book totally. It, it was a very good book, like you said. Not much of a, a kids' book, more of a uh, an intelligent, uh, thought-provoking young adult novel, right? Mm-hmm. I myself, I love the the enemies and uh, good guys have to work together to overcome situation stories as as unoriginal as they are. If done well, they're awesome. And this is an awesome one because throughout the whole course of the story, Cassie, um, <clears throat> through just being herself, uh, is able to sway this yerk into uh, passiveness. Uh, and that's that's no small feat, I think, because this is a yerk who, by the definition, should have every excuse to want to kill Cassie for, you know, taking out her, her sibling and and uh, witnessing that. So uh, good job for Cassie being able to swing her on that. Uh, what I didn't like about it, though, are the the randomized convenient leopard attacks, uh, lots of conveniences scattered throughout um i thought cassie's uh uh, quitting the team right there in the first chapter was uh obviously they wanted to get right into it spared no time on that but it seemed kind of out of the blue um and i'm just truly hoping that this is the end of hearing you know cassie whine about being an animorph which i i think it is from now on she just kind of becomes like their sort of voice for reason but she's a lot more like distant and sort of disconnected from all the the violence and uh that aspect of the team mm-hmm. um however uh yeah yeah just <laughs> in terms of story like actual plot uh there there's some things that are just too heavily relied upon for coincidences like the the being able to morph out of a butterfly morph um, having ever cho- chosen a caterpillar morph in the first place. Uh, a lot of small things like that. I, I, I wouldn't say they detract from the overall goodness of the, the story. Um, it just it just brings it down a little bit in my mind. Uh, so I give it a three out of five departures. However, I will say, <laughs> like, if you're Mega Cassie fan, then this is probably a four or five, and I can fully admit that. I'm, I, 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 I'm the least thing. To, I'm the farthest to, thing from a Cassie fan, and I gave it a five. I know. I, well, you're also you like stories like this, I guess. Yeah, good ones. For me, as as a regular Joe Blow adult returning to the book series, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I would recommend it to to others. But I want to let you know that it might not be everything you're expecting it to be in terms of uh, random coincidences and uh, little girls lost in the woods for the bulk of the story with a, with a not necessary um, tacked on action scene towards the end. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. And uh, I think a lot of people probably were disappointed at first reading this when they were younger and maybe appreciated it more uh, when they got a little older and revisited the series. That, that is, I think a very good point. Um, I'm sure a lot of the nostalgia of this book comes from just reading it at a young age and then rereading it later as adults and being like, wow, this was so deep. Um, I think that might contribute to a lot of people liking it. And, you know, I I have to worry or wonder about uh, Aftran as a character and if 
Aftran ever comes back. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Yes, like three more times. Yeah. yeah. Really? Like a bunch. She's like a main character later on. You're kidding me. No, well, not a main character, but you know, like she's. There's multiple books. I think that she comes back. Oh, okay. Well, I, I didn't know that. Cool. Because I was gonna say, man, um, letting you know a Yerk that knows all their secrets go free is probably one of the worst decisions the team could ever ever make. Which is um, something Cassie obviously had no trouble doing here. Um, so we ended up very lucky that it just happened to work out in this particular case. Yeah. Well, uh, perhaps yeah. by coincidence. Yeah, exactly. Um, so no, that... no, I, I will say Cassie did a, a damn good job, you know, proving she's a good person and she can be trusted by this Yurk. I just like that she's an actual character now. <laughs> that's all. That's all I care about. Um so I think that does it for this week. I think we can wrap things up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're you're five out of five. I'm three out of five. Yeah. Let's see how those scores go down with everybody. <laughs> well, I don't. You can attack me if you want, but do it. I I would I would ask that any twenty eight year old male also reread this book. And uh, this I read it for the first time, by the way. So I didn't have the nostalgia factor going for me. That's true, but I didn't I just have want to say that. huge nostalgia for it. I just remember reading it. So. Oh, well, just average guy. I thought it was good, but <laughs> I'm not as crazy over it as you guys are. Okay. <laughs> However, I am crazy about the next book because holy crap, trilogy time, dude. We're talking trilogy time. Best three books of the entire series. It's happening. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, book 19, The Discovery, right? Book 20, The Discovery. Oh, 20, yes. Got this because I was looking at 19. First one isn't all that great. The first one's pretty good. The, the the trilogy as a whole is best the entire series, easily. Right. Well, it's going to be epic, is all I can say. I've been looking forward to it since book one. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in our first couple podcasts multiple times. Yeah, we've, we've built up the David trilogy quite a bit, so you ain't going to want to miss that one, let's just say. Exactly. So... Okay, everybody go on iTunes, leave us a review. We love hearing from that, and that really does help us out with the show. It brings more people and puts us in a spotlight on iTunes. Uh, Definitely. Join us on on Facebook as well. And Twitter. Facebook.com slash Morphcast. Yeah, and on Twitter, we're at Morphcast. Uh, You can check us out there. Um, Also, we have a pretty small impact in the uh, Animorphs subreddit on Reddit, so r slash Animorphs. You can find us on there posting episodes and talking about them, uh, usually in the comment section. Yeah, we do that. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at I am Mitchell Olson. You can see his books because he's an author. That is correct. If you're interested in my book stuff, you can check out the Devil Ash Days Facebook page as well. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, keep looking out for the new episodes and when we post private thought speaks, which we're going to do to the main RSS feed more often. So. Oh, definitely. If you haven't listened to this week's Private Thoughts Week, Coleman and I talk a lot about writing, um, uh, the art, the craft, why we love it, why we do it, our, our current projects that we're working on. It's, it's a great time. We love talking about writing. We want to do it more often. So check out this Private Thoughts Week. Okay. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. See you next week. Boom.